0: Rabbi, you're muted. You're muted. Okay. Yes, come That's on. That's better. There you go. There are books up here. Want to give...
1: Rabbi, maybe everybody else can mute themselves so we don't... Yes, everybody, so everybody
0: on the Zoom, if you can please mute yourself. If you Unless you have a question then you can unmute, of course. We'll try to, to be able to coordinate everybody seeing... Um, Those that are sitting here and those that are not sitting right in front of us in person, I know it's going to be a little technological until we get the hang of it, but I'm sure we will eventually. Shalim, if you want some soup and some cake, you can help yourself. Okay, so getting back to what we're saying, I said today's course was actually supposed to be done in last spring. Unfortunately, the pandemic had some other things, so therefore we actually postponed it to now, this fall. It's an unbelievable course. Those that have get to see, who've looked at the book or browsed a little bit of what's going on, there's unbelievable stuff in here. Um, I personally enjoyed studying it and preparing for this course, as there's a lot to talk about. There's going to be six episodes that we are going to pick from in the Torah, and those six stories. This week we're going to be talking about the sin of tree of knowledge. The six stories that we'll be talking about throughout the next six weeks, as you can see. This week is the Tree of Knowledge. Next week will be Noah's Ark. Lesson 3 will be Jacob and Esau. Lesson 4 will be Joseph and his brothers. Lesson 5, the broken tablets. And Lesson 6, Korah's Rebellion. As you notice, most of them are from the book of Genesis. There is one from the book of Exodus and one from the book of Numbers. We're going to look at these stories. As I know that many of you know these stories, as, so to speak, as Bible stories stories that you may have heard lullabies to or bedtime stories to. But when we read these stories, what do these stories really mean? What do these stories, how should they be understood? What do they mean to us, not only in a theoretical, but also a pragmatic way? And many of us heard these stories probably as the first time as children. And the way we remember the stories and the way we interpret the stories are sometimes with a child's mind in it and how then do we understand them according to the words of the torah so of jews we know that whenever we study torah there's the torah that we see in front of us that we take for face value the words of the torah but then there is also oh, wait a second oh, my clicker is not working but so but then there is also the way we look at the torah Sorry, just a little, uh, there we go. The way we see the Torah, not only in its body, but also in its soul. I'm just trying to get this a little working here. Hold on. The Torah is made up of two parts. The Torah has a body and the Torah has a soul. Could be the body of the Torah, which is the stories and the laws. And then we also have the soul of the Torah. There we go. Give me a second. Technology. Give me one second. Okay. Okay, we'll just have to use my hand. Then we also have the soul of the Torah, which is the esoteric meanings, the mystical meanings of the teachings of the Torah. So when we talk about the Torah, every single part of the Torah carries into two different facets. We have the body of the Torah, which is the stories and the laws, and then there's the soul of the Torah, which is the mystical meanings. But then there's a second part of the Torah, which is its contemporary application. What does it mean? We know that the Torah is not just a history book of something that happened many, many years ago. The Torah is something which is relevant. I'm just going to move this a little closer so I can click it when I need. Do you see me over there? Very good. So the Torah also has practical perpetual relevance and therefore both parts are needed. Sometimes people may think, and you know, you say the Torah hasn't it. I'm sorry over here that I'm trying to juggle every all ends. Sometimes you may say, well, one second, the Torah, if it's all about esoteric, and I want to know the body and the soul, what does it have to do with me? I'm not a spiritual person. We're people and bodies. We'll deal with the materialistic world. But in fact, the opposite is true. That The more esoteric and the deeper you get into the words of the Torah, the more practical you find it is in your life. And therefore, what we will find over here, that the esoteric version and the story version versus the story version is most rapidly applicable to our lives. So to summarize this, each of these six lessons that we're going to talk about, we're going to explore a biblical story. It's narratives the way it is in the Torah, the way the Torah tells us and the way we read it or the way we remember it. And then we're going to go into not beyond the storyline. And we're going to look at it from a Hasidic perspective, from a Kabbalistic perspective, and mainly based on the interpretations and the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And each of these stories will have an own light on their own. But besides that, besides reading and understanding the story better, Our bottom line is going to be is what do we learn from these stories? How do these stories apply in our day-to-day life? So we're going to start first with the first story that's mentioned in the Torah. The first story mentioned in the Torah is as the human beings come to life, Adam and Eve, they sin with the tree of knowledge. So instead of me reading for you, we're going to watch a little video which is going to give us a basic overview of the story of the tree of knowledge and then we're going to go analyze the story. So here's the video.
2: Is desirable to the sight, the good for eating, and the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. God Almighty took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And God Almighty commanded the man to say, Of all the trees of the garden, eat you shall eat and of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad do not eat of it because on the day you eat of it die you shall die they were both naked the man and his wife and they were not ashamed the serpent was the most shrewd of all animals of the field that god almighty made And the serpent said to the woman, No, die, you will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be as God, knowers of good and bad. The woman saw that the tree is good for eating, and that it is lusty to the eyes, and the tree is desirable to make wise, and she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sold the leaves of a fig tree, and they made themselves girdles.
1: When God confronts Adam and Eve about their transgression, Adam blames his wife, and Eve blames the serpent.
2: God, however, is not satisfied with these excuses, decree so to the woman he said multiply i will multiply your pain and your pregnancy in pain you will give birth to children and to your husband will be your desire and he will rule over you and to Adam he said cursed is the soil on your account painfully you shall eat of it all the days of your life by the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the soil, as from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. God Almighty made coats of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And God Almighty said, Here the human has become like one of us, to know good and bad. And now perhaps he will send forth his hand, And he will take also from the tree of life, and he will eat and live forever. And God Almighty sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the soil wherefrom he was taken.
0: What we just read were the text 1A and 1B found on page uh, 2 and 4 in your textbooks. To summarize over here, we have the story of the Garden of Eden, and I want you to keep reference to these these paragraphs as we're going to reference back to it when we go through this story. Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden. They're told not to eat from the Tree of Knowledge. They eat from the Tree of Knowledge. God then gets upset at them. They are cursed, and because of that, they are expelled from the Garden of Eden. That summarizes it all in one paragraph. Anybody have any questions on this concept? Anything strange about the story and we'll take from online and from sitting in front of us? Yes. She
1: said they'll die. Well, how would they do
0: that? Well, they're going to eventually die, but that's a good question. Anything else about the story in itself?
2: Prior to that, they would have lived forever?
0: If prior to that, if they wouldn't have eaten from the tree of knowledge, would they have lived forever? Okay, anything else in the actual story? In the storyline?
1: Why did they have to be banished from the Garden of Eden? Why couldn't Hashem just change the Garden of Eden to be like the rest of the earth and so Adam and Okay, why did, did they have, the have to be banished?
0: Okay, so these are all good questions. I don't know if we're going to be able to address all the questions today, but we're going to focus today on seven different questions. So keep count. We're going to talk about... Yes?
1: The other thing God
0: said, uh, God was talking to somebody saying like us, Okay we're going to get so we're going to talk about seven different questions we're going to focus on and a lot of these questions when you see the story from a whole new light a lot of your other questions that you may have had will automatically be answered so we're going to focus today's class we're going to look at seven different questions then give a perspective from the esoteric and we'll see how all these questions come to uh, come answered and we'll have a whole new light on the story of the tree of knowledge So question number one is, how does eating a fruit from a certain tree give you knowledge? This is probably a first and basic question of a story that any child would ask when they hear the story. What was the kind of fruit that this was? Just out of, uh, we spoke about this in our uh, lunch breaks, there's no opinion in the Talmud that says that the fruit was an apple. The actual fruit is a discussion in the Talmud. Some say it was wheat. Some say it was a grape. Some say it was a fig. Some say it was a... uh, But there's different opinions on Esarok. But regardless of what the fruit was, the fruit does not have magical powers to all of a sudden impart with you, boom, you'll have knowledge. Or is there some type of explanation? What is it about this fruit that God said or that the snake was convincing them You'll eat from the tree, and all of a sudden you'll have knowledge. You'll be like God. What was it? Question number two. Why was it forbidden? Why? What, what was wrong with them eating from the tree of knowledge? In fact, didn't God create everything in the universe for man to enjoy? Was there some kind of rule that there was something good and it was therefore forbidden? In the words of Nachmanides, I point to text number two in the textbook, page five. I will read what it says, text number two. If the tree was so good to eat and so attractive as a source of wisdom, why did God withhold it from man? For God is good and beneficent and does not withhold goodness from those who live wholesomely. So the question is, if the tree was something positive, If knowledge was something good, let's say by eating this fruit, they would have gotten this magical knowledge. What was wrong with that? What's the problem? Why would God not want them to have it? Question number three What was the problem that they were going to have if they were to eat from the fruit? They were going to have knowledge. Is knowledge a sin? Is there something wrong? with Adam and Eve having knowledge? Not only that, if you say that knowledge is something wrong, what did Adam and Eve get from eating the tree, of, from the tree of knowledge? They got knowledge. That means they got rewarded for doing something wrong. Which one is it? In the words of Maimonides, he asks in the books of the God of Perplex, text number three, some years ago, a learned man asked me a great question. It would appear from a basic reading in the Torah's words that the human being was originally intended to be like the rest of the animal creations, without intelligence in his mind, and without the ability to distinguish between good and bad, and that Adam's disobedience is what procured him the great perfection, that is, the uniqueness of the human being. It thus appears strange that the punishment for his disobedience should be an elevation of man to a pinnacle of perfection that he did not previously have. That is like saying that a certain person was disobedient and extremely wicked. Therefore, his nature was changed for the better and he was placed as a star in the heavens. Maimonides is asking a very obvious question. If the whole reason for them was not to eat from the tree of knowledge and that's why they were punished, why then did they get knowledge? Okay, so we have questions one through three looking at the actual sin. Number one, Why would a certain fruit give them knowledge? Number two, why was it forbidden? And number three, why should it be forbidden? Isn't knowledge a good thing? Let's move on now to the actual next step. Did Adam and Eve actually have free choice before they ate from the tree? Did they? Which leads us to a more fundamental question. We know that free choice means, and everybody will agree that free choice means that we cannot be punished if we don't have free choice, right? If I'm forced to do something, I can't get a punishment or reward it for that matter. Free choice is a fundamental principle of life. If wasn't in the original of God's plan, that man shouldn't have free choice. Was the fact that they ate from the tree of knowledge, that now they know good and bad. Now all of a sudden, they know what good and bad is. But if they didn't have free choice, then why were they punished for eating from the tree of knowledge? It's like a catch-22 here. In the words of the... There was a great uh, Magad. was known as the Dubna Magad. He would go around and talk from place to place. And he used to put it this way. Imagine you have a treasure chest. And you have this whole treasure in the chest. And inside the chest is the keys. How do you get to the chest? How do you get to the treasure? So if they had free choice, if Adam and Eve didn't have free choice... So then how can they choose to transgress against God? That means it was all planned. Was it all planned or wasn't it all planned? Was there a reason that it was there or what happened? So did they have free choice? And if they had free choice, then what's the difference between knowledge? Isn't knowledge that you know the difference between good and bad? So what did they have before and what did they have after? How did they have free choice without the knowledge of good and bad? And if they had free if they didn't have free choice, how did they transgress? Get it? So we are Rabbi? we good? Yes. Hi. Sorry, I have a question. Sure. Um, if do you think if Hashem didn't give them, like tell them specifically not to do it, do you think that they would even think that, hey, well, let's try that? He told them specifically not to do this Right. But I'm saying if he didn't see if it wasn't said to them, is the it possible we'll be they wouldn't there. have even thought about it? So if you look in the actual words that we see in the actual book that we mentioned before, what are the things it says about the tree of knowledge is that it was a temptation for the eyes, that they really wanted it. There was a craving for oh. it. Now, was the craving because you're not allowed to have it? There's a certain um there's a certain phrase that the Talmud uses, mayim Yum yumtaku, that some stolen waters are sweet. You know, when you're not allowed to have something, it always tastes better than when you're allowed to have it. Once the most hungriest day of the year is Yom Kippur because you're not allowed to eat, right? On a day that you don't that you don't have to fast, you can go a whole day not eating. But all of a sudden, the day you have to fast, that's the day you can eat or the day you're going for your blood work, whatever it may be, anything of that nature. So... Could the fact be that God told them, don't eat it? That's what, of course, built the craving even more? Possibly. But let's go a step further. Now let's look at the serpent. Now here's this interesting one. What do we call the serpent? The serpent is called this devious, deceptive individual who causes Adam and Eve to sin. Now if you look in diagram uh, figure 1.2, you have it on on page 8 we're going to put side by side the words that the serpent says and the words that God says. Okay. The serpent says to the woman, no die, you will die. No die. You will die for God knows that on the day you will eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be as God knowers of good and bad. Okay. Those are the words of the serpent. Contrast that with what God says. God says here, the human being has come to be like one of us who knows good of bad. And now perhaps he will be sent forth his hand and he will take from the, from also from the tree of life and he will eat and live forever. Notice the serpent says to the woman, why should you eat from the tree of knowledge? Because you will not die. Why should you eat from the tree of knowledge? Because you didn't know between good and bad. What does God say after they eat from the tree of knowledge? We better banish them from the garden of Edom because if we don't, they're going to live forever. Sounds similar. And if not now that man knows, good and bad. So why was he any deceptive? He said exactly what God said. He said exactly what the tree is all about. Why do we call him so deceptive? He did exactly what God said. In fact, what does God say? God seems to be complaining that the human being, as you mentioned it before, God says, oh, look, we made one person in our image. And now he has sinned. What does that mean? Wasn't that all along that God wanted in the beginning, let us make man in our image? That means he wanted man should know the difference between good and bad. So why is he upset that they ate from the tree of knowledge? Let's go now to the fallout. The fallout we have, all of a sudden... Because Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, they now are going to be punished with death, the pain of childbirth, and the struggle to earn a living. What else do we find? A continuous theme that's mentioned is that all of a sudden, and I saw that they didn't realize that they were naked. God saw that they were naked, so therefore he gave them clothes. A continuous theme that the Torah uses a terminology about. First, they weren't, they were wearing clothes. They ate from the tree of knowledge. They realized they were naked and then God made them clothes. What's this whole nakedness, clothing, shame going on because of the tree of knowledge? What does that have to do with the tree of knowledge? Just because the tree of knowledge, they realized they needed clothes. What happened here? So we have over here seven different questions that we went through. And we're going to try to answer all these questions by taking a whole new angle on the story of the tree of knowledge. If you wanna see a summary of the questions, you can see in figure point one three on, text number nine, on page number nine is a summary of all these questions. And to answer all the questions, the first thing we need to understand is, what is the tree of knowledge? It's called the tree of knowledge. What is knowledge? The Hebrew word for knowledge that is used is etz hadas, the word which means das, das means knowledge. The Torah refers to this tree that Adam and ate from, the tree of knowledge. What is the tree of knowledge? So according to Kabbalah, you can see this in figure 1.4 on on page 10, there's a diagram of the 10 faculties that the human being possesses. We call them faculties, attributes. According to Kabbalah, these 10 faculties and attributes that the human being possesses correspond to the 10 faculties that God possesses. You can see that they're split up into three parts. The top three are intellectual, the middle three are emotional, and the lower four are behavioral. We're going to focus on the top three. The top three of the 10 faculties are known as Chachma, Bina, and Das, generally translated as wisdom, comprehension, and knowledge. Being that man is created in the image of God, we as people possess these 10 attributes because God possesses these 10 attributes. So now let us understand. If you look in the diagram, you will notice that Das is in the center and connects Chochma and Bina. Knowledge connects Wisdom and comprehension. And why is that? What does this mean? So what do they two mean? Wisdom and comprehension. What does it mean, wisdom? Chachma literally means, I have an idea. That flash of lightning. But now that flash of lightning, I can do nothing with it. Until I have Bina. I take that idea. I analyze it. I understand it. I break it down into pieces. But in these two levels, they're still ideas. They're still abstract. One's more abstract because it's a completely an idea. The second one is already I broke it down, but it doesn't have to do with anything yet. Das, which is knowledge, gives me the ability to relate the ideas and apply them to ourselves. Das you would call application not just something which is an abstract idea. I take this idea and I'm looking, how am I going to make this idea personal? How am I going to bring it to something? So again, Chachma is the capacity to conceive new ideas. Bina gives me the possibility to analyze it. And Das is relatable, bringing it down. Here, text number four, page 11. An official-looking letter adorned with stamps and seals arrived in a small wayside inn somewhere in the backwards of Russia. The illiterate innkeeper ran to find a local schoolteacher. As the teacher read the letter aloud, the innkeeper turned white, uttered a small cry, and fainted, for the letter contained shocking and tragic news for the simple good-hearted man. His beloved father had passed away. Now let's analyze this event. You have an innkeeper who's illiterate, can't read a word. He gets a letter. He gives it to the teacher who is illiterate, a person who can prolific writer, prolific reader, and he reads. And all of a sudden, while he's reading it, the innkeeper passes away. Or doesn't pass away, I should say, faints. What's the difference here? Why is it that the innkeeper faints while the teacher is able to read it without any problems. Because it's the innkeeper's father. The teacher may know the vocabulary, may know the sentence structure, may know how to write penmanship, may know have the letters composed correctly or not. But it's not his father. The teacher can have a better grasp on the information, on the Chochmah, on the Bina. He has the idea, he has the comprehension. But the das, the application, the objectivity in it, that all of a sudden it comes to the innkeeper. You can have empathy, but it's still not his father. The teacher has das to the extent, yes, that he has empathy for his fellow man that lost his father. But he can still read the letter without any emotion, without any feeling, because it's not his father. When we talk about the concept of Das, does knowledge help us or hinder us in making important life decisions? Take this example. What would you prefer? Diagnose an illness by an objective professional or by a doctor who's a close friend and, keep, and, and and cares deeply about the patient. What would you say? Yeah. Can't hear you if you're giving any... Objective.
1: Objective.
0: What do you say? Objective.
1: objective.
0: Over here we have a B because he cares about the person. Why do you say objective?
1: Because I want to have the professional tell me exactly what it is that's wrong without his emotion interfering.
0: Okay, let's take another example. Who will do a better job at running a business? A higher genius with a PhD in business administration, or a family member who has a passion and wants to make sure that the family business continues to thrive? What's the difference? You see, both of you answered the opposite. Before you wanted somebody objective, now you want somebody subjective. Before you said you want somebody subjective, now you said you want somebody objective. I tell you why, because in one of those cases, you probably had a a piece of the pie. In in both of
1: those situations.
0: You had a piece of the pie and you felt, so you're putting your objectivity into it. Just just keep that in mind.
2: I really do. One of
0: the things that we see, regardless of what question you're going to put, Is that there are advantages and disadvantages from subjectivity and of of that bring that comes with das. That means in how we deal with things in the world, there's an advantage of having das of subjectivity, and there's a disadvantage of having subjectivity. You can say that a doctor that cares for his friend will turn over every rock to be able to find a method and a feeling or a remedy for his friend, while an objective doctor will look at him as another patient. Or you can say, I want somebody that's going to tell me the hard truth, not to look at me as a person, as a friend. And therefore, in most of these cases, we're going to look in the real world, we're going to look for both. So, so what is NAS? How does this apply to us as people? Being human beings... We are never completely objective to anything or anyone. It's like a person says, I don't judge anyone. The moment you walk outside and you look at another person, you already judge them. Automatically, when I have knowledge, I am affected by that knowledge. When I have an idea or an experience that I absorb, automatically my feelings, my objectivity has now been tainted. It changes the personality and the character of the individual by the knowledge that they know. In the teachings of Chassidus at Stone, das is food for the soul. The same way food of the body becomes an internalized part of the human being, where you are what you eat, the same thing is also knowledge is for your soul. It changes your character. You learn about something, you know about something, and because of that, your behavior is different. Like it or not, whether you disagree with the behavior or not, you now are influenced by the knowledge you know. Either for it or against it, but you're influenced. God also has das. God also has knowledge. And he's deeply engaged with every aspect of the creation. It is for this reason, as we mentioned, that the same attributes and faculties that we have, those ten attributes and faculties, God has as well but there's one important difference between the way God has it and the way we have it. See from the words of the first Chabad Rebbe Lekut Eto'eris, text number five on page 13. This is the meaning of what God says after Adam and Eve ate from the tree. Here the human has become like one of us, meaning that in the same way that is supernal oneness, there is knowledge of good and bad, so too has man gained the knowledge as a result of his tasting from the tree of knowledge, in which good and bad are commingled. But for man, this is damaging. Why is that? The way that it is above is although the bad is also known and remains separate from distant from good. The human being, however, is a panemi, an internalizer. When the human being knows the bad, he becomes mixed up with it, and then extremely difficult to separate from bad. Rather, is a great battle in which the kingdom overpowers kingdom at times one side overpowers the other and at times the other side overpowers. This is why God did not want the man should taste from the tree of knowledge. God wanted man should not have any knowledge or all or bad and that man should remain exclusively holy as God did not desire to cast man into the great battle. We were created in God's image and likeness. But at the end of the day, As great as you think you are, you're not God. You're not God. And because of that, there's a big difference from the way God has knowledge and the way we have knowledge. We were created with good and bad, and God was created with good and bad. The difference is that God has knowledge and has good and bad, but he's not influenced by it. He's not changed by it. He doesn't become different because of it. When we have Das, when we have knowledge, automatically what does our knowledge do? Everything we know becomes part of us. The human knowledge operates in a totally different way. That everything that we know is part of the human. Your intellect, your knowledge is not something separate from you, but is you. You are what you know. We're no longer an objective technical knowledge. It becomes humanly subjective. And why? Because we become internalized with it. The bad that we learn about or that we know about is not just a far-fetched idea, but that now bad is part of us. And that's why there's the human struggle. Why do humans struggle is because the bad is not just a theory. It's a reality within us. God also has bad and good, but God doesn't get influenced by the bad and God. God can be within the world and at the same time simultaneously be beyond the world. The world doesn't issue or make an effect in God's knowledge. Or God's knowledge doesn't affect God, so to speak. While well, us, knowledge affects us. So once we have knowledge about good and bad, bad is going to affect us to the extent that we need to struggle with. It. Mm-hmm. let's now go take this concept now that we know what das is and let's answer our questions and we're going to answer all our questions one by one trying to see now with this newly found idea of what now of what das is our question we're going to start with questions three and four isn't knowledge a good thing why would it be a sin or result of a sin Now that we know what knowledge is, now that we know what das is, what is knowledge? It's good and bad. Eating from the tree of knowledge, was that an upgrade to Adam and Eve or a downgrade that they got knowledge? On all accounts, it was a downgrade because until they ate from the tree of knowledge, they were objective to good and bad. Once they ate from the tree of knowledge, They became subjective and biased because of the das. The good and and bad were personal prejudice and short-sighted cravings of the person's judgment. Let's see it in the words of Maimonides in the Guide for the Perplexed. He puts it this way. Text number six, page 15. The intelligence that God imparted to man, which was man's ultimate perfection, was given to him before his disobedience. Indeed, it is because of this intelligence that it is said that man was made in the divine image and likeness. And it is due to this intelligence that God spoke to man and instructed him, as no one does not commission animals or those without intelligence. With this intelligence, man was able to differentiate between truth and falsehood, this ability man possessed in fullness and perfection. Good and bad, on the other hand, are subjective conventions, not objective truths. When speaking of correct and incorrect, we use the terminology true and false regarding what is attractive or repulsive. We use the terms good and bad. When man rebelled the following in his imagined desires and the pleasure of his physical instincts that is written the woman saw and the tree is good for eating and the lusty to his eyes, his punishment was to be deprived of objective understanding was inundated by the subjectivity of the worldly conventions and he sank to the level of discerning in terms of good and bad. Thus, as it says, Adam and Eve, knowers of good and bad, rather knows of falsehood and truth or comprehenders of falsehood and truth. What's Maimonides telling us here? Maimonides is telling us and explaining the difference between subjectivity and objectivity before the sin versus after the sin. Good and bad are subjective conventions. Why? Because what's good for me may be bad for you. What's bad for you may be good for me. Take the simple example of a diabetic. There are some diabetics that have a high sugar, some have a low sugar. For some people, sugar is good. For some people, sugar is bad. Good and bad, by definition, is a subjectivity. I can't be objective to say good and bad. Objectivity would be words and phrases I would use would be True or false. So before the sin, Adam and Eve knew true and false. Not good and bad. What is correct and what is incorrect. They weren't necessarily good. They weren't necessarily bad. Because there was no craving. There was no desire. There was no bad within them. The moment they ate from the tree of knowledge, what did they do now? They automatically became objective. Truth became good, false became bad. What did they do over here? They changed because good and bad, because they now internalized knowledge. Remember we said knowledge becomes internalized and changes the person from becoming subjective to, uh, to from becoming objective to becoming subjective. They now have no longer the ability to see things from above. So what's the sin? What was our question? In question number three, we asked, isn't knowledge a good thing? It is a good thing. But to what extent? In this case, the good thing the way it is by God. But in this case, it took away their objectivity from it. What happened in this case? In this case, the das, the good and bad, were personal prejudices and short-sighted by cravings of their personal judgment that they had at the time. This is why you'll notice an interesting thing here. The snake who depicts evil, who was the symbol of evil, the evil inclination. Where was he? Outside of the human being. Where is evil today? Where is our evil inclination? Within us. Because before the sin of the tree of knowledge, there was no bad within the person. They didn't have bad within them because they had no knowledge of bad. Following the transgression of the divine commandment through where they experienced now firsthand violating God's will, they now have bad within them. The evil inclination now entered within the human being. See the text of rebelio Dessler. He says as follows. Today... Text number 7, page 17. Today in the post-transgression reality, the evil inclination is an internal voice that speaks in the first person. I want, I desire. This was not the original state of the human being. For God created a man straight. As one who was naturally doing the right thing, which is why the serpent had to come from the outside to entice the man with a you voice coming, without, coming from without, rather than with, with man's I voice, which they're rooted in good. So when we look at this, we now understand, number one, is knowledge a sin? It's not a sin. But because at that time, the knowledge became internalized, they brought bad within them, which brought about the evil inclination, which then automatically affected the way, the choices, and things that they made. Did they have freedom of choice? Their freedom of choice before the sin was the freedom of choice between truth and false. And because they ate from the tree of knowledge, their freedom of choice changed instead of true and false to good and bad. Now let's go a step further. The serpent's deception. We can now understand why was the serpent, how devious the serpent was. Our question was seemingly the serpent said the exact same words God said why was that any, anything deceptive in order to see the serpent's deception we need to look closely in how deceptive the serpent was in fact he was so deceptive that it was only a few words different a drop of it that he changed adam and eve had an objective knowledge before they sinned with the with before they sinned with the tree of knowledge they knew at the time that they were elements of god's creation God placed them in the Garden of Eden to serve and to work in the Garden of Eden. Text number 8. The Zohar says, page 18. God Almighty took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. To work it, these are the positive commandments, the Torah, and to keep it, these are the prohibitions. What does that mean? That means that when Adam and Eve were in the Garden They knew exactly what's right and what's wrong. They knew it as not as bad and good but as in true and false. But how did they know it? As a theory, as a concept. They had no attachment to anything negative. They had no connection with anything bad. What did the serpent do? The serpent says to Chava, when you will eat from the tree of knowledge, you will be like God. With Das, what happens with Das? He tells him, "You will be like God, the same way God knows true, and, uh, the same way God knows good and bad." What didn't the serpent say? That God's good and bad doesn't influence God, but when you will eat from the tree of knowledge and you will know God, good and bad, that will change your reality. You will now become subjective individuals. Yes, you're going to be like God, knowing tree of knowledge. You're not going to be like God. Why you're not going to be like God? Because God is not influenced by his knowledge. You will be influenced by your knowledge. So was he deceitful? 100%. He told them they would be like God. They won't be like God. Yes, they'll be like God, that they'll have no good and bad. But God's not influenced by good and bad. Adam and Eve will be influenced by good and bad. Which this takes us back to our first question. How does eating a fruit impart knowledge? It's because when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they experienced the transgression of the divine will. And because they experienced it, they now ate it, they internalized it. Now bad became part of them. Knowledge, meaning the physical body absorbed the fruit of the tree of knowledge, making it part of their substance. Spiritually, they now encountered good and bad, and now good and bad became part of them. It wasn't a magic, it was the moment they allowed themselves to be vulnerable, they now were able to have, accept bad as well. And because they were vulnerable, they were now influenced by good and bad as well. And that happened because of eating from the tree, of violating God's command. One way to understand this whole concept of the Garden of Eden, what happened post-Garden of Eden and uh, uh, post-Sin of the Tree of Knowledge and pre-Sin of Knowledge, would if you put it this way? And I'm sure you've been asked this question or thought about this before. What would you rather? What would you rather when you talk about bringing up your children would you rather bring up a child in an utopian world? I think I missed a slide here, so I'll just go through it quickly before I go through it. The evil inclination pre was external, post was internal. Here we go. Which path would you choose for your child? A sheltered utopia, a place where your child has never experienced any evil, horrible, negativity, ugly, the experience that this child will have will only be goodness and, and, goodness and beauty. They'll be taught how to protect the goodness and beauty about their world. They'll only know about positive. They'll go, they won't have any challenges. Their abilities, they'll be able to prosper and grow. They'll only know that evil and ugliness exists outside their perfect world, but nothing in their little island will be able to have any negativity. All they will know about evil is that it exists and it's got to be avoided. So to speak, a shtetl seclusion life, if you want to call it. Or would you say, throw your kid out there, let them face the challenges head on, it will make them stronger, better, and they'll be able to confront anything that comes their way. What path would you choose for your child? Living in an utopia? That wasn't a choice. <laughs> a. Sheltered utopia or struggle with temptation? Anybody? <laughs> what would you rather your child grow up with?
1: Well, we live in B right
0: now. Well, it depends.
1: We do. We live in B. We're,
0: We're not saying what we live in. I'm asking in an ideal world.
1: You mean if I can make it over? Yes. If like Hashem?
0: If you're in the abs- absolute truth, what would you pick? A. A. Okay. Anybody say B. Raise your hand if you say B there. B is that you want them to struggle with temptations of the world. Deal with, let them know, throw them out there. Most parents opt for option A. Rabbi. Yes. I feel like I've lived in both. Yes, we may have lived in both, but I'm asking which would you rather, which would you opt for?
1: Combination.
0: Okay, but that wasn't an option. (laughs)
1: That's my option.
0: (laughs) Most parents, I'm sure, would prefer option A. But more often, we find, especially rambunctious teenagers, despite everything their parents might do to convince them otherwise, would try for option B. And now this answers our second question. Why was the tree forbidden? Why was the tree forbidden? God was like a loving parent who opted for option A. Mankind would still have a task in life to develop the good as God put them in the Garden of Eden and he told them to serve it and guard it. You will have what to do. You'll keep yourself busy. Fulfillment in your life, you'll have. You won't know any bad. You'll know it exists, but you won't have to deal with it. That's what God wanted for man. And that's why God did not want man to taste from the tree of knowledge. Because God wanted man to not have any knowledge of bad. That means he did not want them to internalize. did not want them to have the struggle of bad. He didn't want the desire to put the man into the case of a great battle. He said, stay away. Know it exists. It's false. But don't deal with it. No, it didn't exist at that time. It It existed, but in an abstract. So why did he put the serpent in the Garden of Eden? In an existence, a... because at this time, the serpent was there to convince them to see if one second. He wanted them to be there. Hold on. So he wanted them to be there. He wanted them to live in an option of utopia. But What happened? The man, human they- being is the kinkpin of God's creation. So when the first man and woman came about and ate from the tree of knowledge and had now good and bad, they didn't just change the creation of the human being but they changed the entire creation of the world. That's answering your question. The moment they ate from the t- tree of knowledge, not only did they become bad, so to speak, have bad within them, bad now came into the world. What does this mean? Let's see in text number nine from Reb Chaim Vital the Kabbalist, the student of the Arizal. Text number nine, page 19. Know that after Adam sinned and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, both the soul and his body became integrated with both good and bad. This is the significance of what is written, because of the day which you eat from it, die, you will die, both the death of the soul and the death of the body. When he sinned with the tree of knowledge of good and bad, man caused an intermixing of the worlds, so that there is nothing that does not include within itself both good and bad. Text number 10 on page 20. As a result of the sin of tree of knowledge, there was a blending of good and bad. Evil existed before the sin, but then it was separated from good. Here's your answer to the question. As is known, in the beginning of the creation, the domain of clip of the husks that concealed godliness was beneath the realms of holiness. But through the sin of the tree of knowledge, the entire world became a mixture of good and bad. The bad is mixed into the good and the good is mixed into the bad to the extent that there is no good without some bad in it and no bad without some good in it. To summarize, free choice existed before Adam and Eve. To your question, yes, the snake existed. There was bad that existed in the world. They had perfect knowledge of what is right and what is wrong and were given the autonomy to choose which path to follow. Okay? That means they had the choice. But once they made the choice after their transgression, now that they have knowledge, now that they have das, it became integrated within them. It became mixed into the person. It's imagine you have two separate ingredients. I know this ingredient. I know I have pepper here and I have salt here and I have the chalant that I want to put it into. But until I mix it all together, I don't have to deal with it. I can put in as much as I want or I can avoid it all What happened when they ate from the tree of knowledge, all of a sudden, it became all mixed. There's no such part of this world that doesn't have good and bad part of it together. What we see from over here is the reality that they created after the sin was good and mixed were bad. There's no way to separate them any longer. And even more significantly, that we are no longer fighting an outside item. It is within the item itself that we have to fight. It's against ourselves. Let's take the example of the ingredients. I am tempted, let's say I'm a diabetic, and I see I have sugar on the shelf. But until the sugar is not put in the ingredients, I can either reject it, close the closet, and not have to do with it. Even though I know sugar exists, and I know it's bad for me. The moment the sugar is put into my recipe, I can't now scoop out the sugar. I have to deal with how much am I going to eat and make sure that I don't hurt myself. I can throw it out, but that's not an option anymore in this world. I can't throw out the world. We live within the world. The world now is a mixture of good and bad. Not only is it a mixture of good and bad, but it's a mixture of good and bad that is part of us. Every single one of us has a godly inclination and an evil inclination. Every single one of us has to deal on a daily basis with good and bad that exists in the world, in every facet of the world. It's no longer an abstract. So before they ate from the sin of the tree of knowledge, good and bad existed. They had the freedom of choice to choose what's right, what's wrong. They knew what is right and wrong, or in the words of Maimonides, true and false. The serpent was there. The serpent was the epitome of false, of bad. But where was The serpent externally, it was outside of them. They could have moved the serpent to the side and have nothing to do with it. But they chose to eat from the tree of knowledge. They chose to eat from the tree of knowledge, which now that knowledge became integrally part of them. And once it became part of them, we cannot separate it. And now that knowledge, which includes good and bad, became part of the human being, we got to deal with it. How do we deal with it? What do we deal with it? What did God tell them? The various punishments that God gave them. What were the punishments that God gave? And now this takes us to the last two questions that we had. What was the significance of the punishments? Mortality, pain, toil. Or question number seven what does nakedness have to do with this? Before they transgressed from the tree of knowledge, the world was completely good. We lived as an utopia of reality of absolute goodness. Anything that was bad was external. I just could have shoved it away. Goodness was something which was the prior, the priority, which was something that always existed. What happens once they eat from the tree of knowledge, they were entangled with the knowledge experience which brought them bad. Goodness is another word for just divine expression. God is the essence of good. And the good in the world is simply those areas where exist and emulate God's being. And therefore, Adam and Eve existed in the realm of good, which was the realm of life, as if they eat from the tree of life, they will live forever. Meaning, living forever, mortality comes from only having bad in their life, evil from being existent, being that they transgressed the divine will. Now they gain knowledge and they were entangled with bad and good together. They incorporated bad into their own existence. What happens now? What does bad do? It conceals. It obstructs. Mortality conceals and obstructs. So as long as the anti-godliness, so to speak, exists within this world, we are forced to toil and deal with it to reveal godliness as the human being. A finite life can still be one of clarity and harmony, but only through hard work. And that's why the tree of knowledge didn't just introduce the negative and the ungodly, the bad within the human being, but it transformed everything. And everything now needs work to be able to be transformed. So over here, we have the two consequences that Adam and Eve had. Toil and shame. Originally, the task in the world was good. And all you had to do was reject the bad, right? Because it was external. I didn't have to deal with it. So all I had to do is just push it to the side. But now that I have tasted from the tree of knowledge and bad became part of me, I no longer can just reject it. I have to work to transform it. It became a whole new, new struggle. What it did to me, the human being is that it changed them in how they're objective of what they have to do. We now need to not only push things away, because we need to have, before there was a clear separation between good and bad, and now we need to toil, work hard to separate good from bad. So why clothes? Why so much about nakedness? Why before it says that they were naked, but they didn't realize, and only after they ate from the sin of tree of knowledge did they realize their shame? What would you say? Because why do we need clothes? Obvious holiness, before the sin of tree of knowledge, they were holy. They were objective. The reason why, there are certain reasons why you realize you're naked or shame exists is because of crassness. When there's holiness in every single facet, and every single part of the body, you see holiness. But after the tree of knowledge, all of a sudden, They needed boundaries. Certain things are good and certain things are bad. Certain things you're proud of and certain things are not so great. After eating from the tree of knowledge, everything changed. Everything became one big mishmash and now we needed to select the good from the bad and fight and look to see how we can separate everything. Because now we're integrated, we're inculcated with bad and good within ourselves. Mandy, Yes. Uh,
1: the, God created the serpent as well.
0: Correct. So wasn't this all preordained? So Did, as we said, are you done or are you still soon? Yeah, no. Oh, so as I mentioned, the serpent, yes, it was created. And it was ordained that that should exist. But what was the serpent? external from the individual. It was a mere rejection of the serpent that they needed. They didn't have to listen to the serpent. It was their choice that they decided to embrace the serpent and internalize it. So if I would say it was preordained, then that would take away their freedom of choice, and then they shouldn't have been punished for it. So they did have a freedom of choice. Bad existed, which was the serpent, but the serpent was there only, if you want to say, to test them, but at the same time, it would be easier to reject because it was external. The moment you enter, the moment you eat something, it now became part of them. And now evil has become part of us and therefore much difficult for us to challenge and fight against the evil. So, yes, the serpent existed, but all it was meant for them to reject it. And in fact, that was the first commandment given to Adam. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge, even though you may have an influencer.
1: Well, if they were only good and everything was and evil was external, how, how did God expect them to understand what it would mean for them to experience death? I mean, they, since they were creatures of only good, as you describe it, how would they have any understanding of what would mean to
0: be both good and they? Okay, so the words that God told them was, of the Ulashamra. They were put in the Garden of Eden to serve it and to protect. In the words of Maimonides, before they ate from the tree of knowledge, true and false would have been the definition. That means they would understand that this is false. This is something I shouldn't be doing. I don't have to have it bad. Bad becomes because I become subjective. On an objective level, I know that something I should not be doing because I know this is wrong. It doesn't have to be bad. Now that I become subjective, I've made it bad. I've made it evil. Which takes us now to the last part of our class. Now that we have a better understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we can af- talk about how does this affect our lives? What does this mean to us? Now that we are in the present, which is, so to speak, the post-Garden of Eden world, are we better off because of Adam and Eve's eating from the Tree of Knowledge or not? Anybody else? So truth be told... We go back to the same question that we spoke about before. Are you better off as a child from a protective parent, or would you rather be in an environment where you have to combat evil? Initially, we sided with the protective parent, who would keep his child's knowledge only objective. And we also discussed the pros of being subjectively involved, that you want to fight with the world and so on. This is the paradox of the story of the tree of knowledge. On one hand, it was a sin. It was a sin because now a negative event that shouldn't have happened. But after the fact, now that we are already post tree of knowledge, we don't rip out the pages and say, oy vey, what are we going to do? On the contrary, it's an opportunity to upgrade the human mission in life. Because we were banished from the Garden of Eden, that means That we didn't have the opportunity to stay in the Garden of Eden in this utopia of good. We are now thrown into the world where we have to deal with evil, deal with bad. We need to engage the world, experience the rich and multifaceted levels of nature, and combat it, and overturn it, and make it good as well. What does this tell us? There's the child who lives in this utopia of good. But he doesn't experience bad at all. Doesn't give him the ability to grow, because all he's on is like in a silver fed on a silver spoon. But the child that has to go out there and fight for what he has is challenged and can sometimes be even stronger. This is what God tells us. One is a child and the other one is a grown. Both of them can be children. You have the child who's protected and shielded and never harm comes to him, and therefore all of a sudden gets a boo boo. Take the immune system. A child who never is exposed to anything doesn't have built up an immune system. But then a child who's out there built up an immune system. The same ideas before the person before the garden before Garden of Eden. Post, I'm sorry, before the sin of the tree of knowledge, we were this child without an immune system. Post Garden of Eden, post now we're a child with an immune system. We go out into the world. We have to take on the challenges and transform the bad and make it good. That's because now we have knowledge. We have both. We have good and bad. Don't forget, we have good and bad, so we can have to use both of them. What does all teach us in our own lives, here and now? There are many lessons that I'm sure we can learn, and I'll leave it up to you to take some of the lessons, but here are some takeaways that we can have from today's class. Step number one, there's always good on the other side. What does that mean? We tend to polarize positions we tend to polarize things that it's either good or bad. Either you're with me or against me. If you're not like me, and unfortunately we see this today too much, that if you're not, if you don't agree with me a 100% or 110%, you're against me. I always say that if somebody comes up and says that this guy is a 100% bad, he's lying. And it's actually a Talmud. The Talmud says, that if the entire rabbinic tribunal the Sanhedrin says that this guy is guilty what's the rule law? He's innocent. That means if there's a unanimous decision in the rabbinical court that this guy is guilty, he walks out innocent. You ask why? Because it's great. Very good. Because first of all it's impossible that 70 Jews should have the same opinion. But besides <laughs> that but besides that It must be rigged. That means that if one person in the 70 people, in the 70 rabbis, couldn't find the justification, couldn't find the good side for this person, that means they were not following their own seichel. They were busy looking what everybody else said. If you look, and if you say, I don't care, pick a person. If you say this guy is 100% bad, you're lying. To yourself, to anything. Why? Because there is no such thing as a person being absolutely bad. We're all a combination of good and bad. Some people shine bad, some people shine good, but if you look deep enough, you'll find good in every person. Because you're being subjective. Sorry? That's true, but we have to look for the good. But there's always good there. You gotta be subjective. You're always being, I'm sorry, you gotta be objective and subjective and realize that your decision that you're making about somebody is subjective. And as the Baal Shem Tov used to tell us, that when you see bad in somebody else, it's really a mirror reflection of yourself. And it's because you're so annoyed by that type of behavior, therefore you're getting annoyed that the other person has it. So whether it's a politician or your friend next door that sits to you in shul, you should know that regardless of what it is, there's always good on the other side. Let's take another example. Don't be disillusioned by failings. Adam and Eve, the first... Humans ever to exist, created in the image of God, created by God Himself, failed, made a mistake. But what did they do? Did they just stop what they were doing? Adam lived another 930 years after the sin of the tree of knowledge. And he brought children into the world. And he kept on going, he kept on trucking, even though he was told mortality was going to come, even though they caused all the pain and suffering. He used what God has given in his God-given strengths to build himself up again and bring more and do more. Number three, transform mistakes into positivity. We all make mistakes. The question is what we do about our mistakes. We make mistakes, but to make those mistakes into a positive action and making sure that we help ourselves because of it and not fall into giving up whatever it may be. And finally, complexity makes life meaningful. The tree of knowledge story teaches us how to deal with our own blunders and mess ups. But sometimes these mess ups become so complex. Because of that, I have a mixed up feeling whatever may be. But you know what? Because I am so complex, I can find something which is meaningful in every shape and form, in some type of way, regardless. Being complex doesn't make it difficult, maybe make it difficult for you to find your niche. But because you have so many things mixed up, you can find your niche, you can find your place, which is close to you, that you can find something to acknowledge what went wrong and at the same time transform the past negative into a positive. Thank you for joining us today. Next uh, next, so our exercise for this week... Think about one one area and you strongly disagree with others, whether it's politics, religion, child rearing, or any other divisive issue. Identify at least one detail in which your side is wrong and one detail in which the other side is right. How about that? In today's world, you will deserve a diploma for such a type of an award. Next week, we go to Noah's Ark. Raises a number of baffling questions. Can God plan... And question number one, what does God say when he tells Noah to make an ark? I failed. I created man. And all of a sudden, they're ruining the world. I have to scratch my plan. Can God's plans fail miserably? Is that even possible? Join us next week, Tuesday, 730. And we'll see you there. Anybody have any questions? Yes. So yes.
1: well, Why did Hashem clothe Adam and Eve in skins after they tried to clothe themselves with the fig leaves?
0: He wanted something more enduring. No seriously. Yeah, that's number I mean, one. No hidden, like, there is, know. but I can't tell you on one foot.
1: No, 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 <laughs> he's not a vegetarian.
0: Oh, yes. Thank you.
1: One second. We have one more
0: question here. He didn't say that day. He say they will die and that day. That day that they will be expelled from the Garden of Eden.
1: The, that, will okay.
2: that
0: will be the day that mortality will be. I have a
2: that, yes. Was there no pain to child or was there no child rearing there, no there, there were children yet.
0: There were children. They had Cain and Abel. according to some were born. From now on, there was going to be pain to child rearing so And in fact, it says in the time of the coming of Mashiach, being that the world will be brought back to their perfection of before, the sin of the tree of knowledge, it won't be pain by child Yeah, I know.
2: Yes, but what does that mean by Mashiach? All these things you
1: say good, excellent. Is supposed to eliminate
0: some of these. So, when Mashiach comes, we're going to go back to the pre tree of knowledge time because all bad will be already transformed into good. Here's just a little recap of yes. Were you saying that for next week? Did you say that Noah failed or Hashem failed? God said he failed. You'll find that next week. Okay, So, wait a minute. You just said, don't be disillusioned by failing. So. But that's God. Can God fail? Well. Well, join us next week.
1: Who's giving you a hard time there, Rabbi?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> that... Lesson one.
0: Just a little Very recap. Of Thank you, Rabbi. The plain meaning
1: of the Torah's text to Good,
0: Good
1: night. night. Recap the many questions, mysteries, and dilemmas posed by the stories of the Torah are resolved when we understand the story's mystical significance. The mystical meanings also show us how these stories are applicable to our own lives in the here and now. Two, the Torah's account of the tree of knowledge presents us with many perplexing questions. How did eating the fruit of a certain tree impart knowledge of good and bad? Why was the tree forbidden? Isn't knowledge a good thing? Did Adam and Eve have free choice before they ate from the tree? If everything the serpent said was true, where was the deception? How did eating from the tree cause human mortality, the pain of childbirth, and the struggle to earn a living? What is the role of nakedness, clothing, and shame in the tree of knowledge story? Three, the faculty of thought. Knowledge is that part of our psyche that causes us to become personally invested in what we know and experience, while our doubt is a reflection of God's doubt. There is an important distinction between the two. God is fully invested in his creation, yet remains unchanged by it. In contrast, everything that we know and experience becomes part of who and what we are. Before partaking in the tree, Adam and Eve had a perfect objective understanding of right and wrong, which fully equipped them to fulfill their mission of cultivating godliness in the world and rejecting evil. As a result of their transgression, their divine intellect was degraded to a subjective dot of good and bad, where personal prejudice and short-sighted cravings cloud a person's judgment. This is why God forbade them to partake of the tree of knowledge. God desired to spare them the struggle and anguish that the entanglement of dot would bring. Five, the human being is a microcosm of the whole of creation. By absorbing the dot of good and bad into themselves, Adam and Eve caused all of creation to become a mishmash of good and bad, to the extent that there is no good without some bad in it, and no bad without some good in it. Six, the story of the tree of knowledge teaches us to appreciate the positive elements that exist in the other with whom we disagree and in the paradigms that we reject. It encourages us to embrace the messiness of life as an opportunity for deeper and more meaningful engagement. It also teaches us to acknowledge our blunders while discovering how a past negative can be transformed
0: into a future positive. Have a good night. good night. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Thank you. Thank you off, thanks. Oh. oh, come on. Okay, I'm signing off. Gary, sign. <laughs> yeah, you're funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see you, at least. Good to see you. <laughs> Sorry. I'll see you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Rabbi. Nice, Mom. Bye.
1: I shouldn't make them like that, but they should make you shed The... All right, excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>